We've been in a series called Unlikely Individuals That God Has Used in Powerful Ways, and we're gonna continue that. This will be the last of the four-week series, and I'm delighted that I can be a part of this series. And I'd like to start with a story this morning. When he woke up that morning, he had no idea that this was going to be a day that would change his life forever. For him, it was just one more lousy day, a day of discouragement, of disappointment. As far as he was concerned, his life was going absolutely nowhere. Now, part of the situation that was going on was he was a son of a, of a farmer in the Middle East, and Bedouin tribes had come in. They've been doing this for about seven, eight years now. In the time of the uh, harvest, they'd come in and they would plunder everything they could get their hands on, animals, the grains, whatever else. The people of his country would, would try to escape to the hills. They would find caves. They'd try to hide as much as they possibly could. But they were living in absolute poverty. Well, his family had managed to, to uh, hide some grain and his job this morning was to thresh it. Now, normally, he would go to the top of the property where there'd be a, a nice flat area that was there. And uh, there'd be a nice breeze. He would beat the grain. He'd have a basket. He would throw the grain up in the air. And as he would do so, that nice breeze would take away uh, the, um, the chaff and leave the grain that would come down. But this was not an ordinary time. And so his plan was this. He would go down to the family wine press which was not at the top of the property, but at the bottom. And there at the bottom, there would be a large hole that had been plastered around, and they would take the, the grapes from the harvest and put them in there. But this morning, he's in this hole with his grain. Now he's there, he's got a problem because there's a hole in the ground. There's no breeze. And I'm not exactly sure how he managed to, to thresh and to get the, the chaff away. Uh, maybe it looks something like this. Not exactly sure, but as he's sitting there trying to do something to thresh this grain, he must have been thinking to himself, this is the story of my life. I'm living in a pit. I'm a loser. I'm the least of the least. And in the midst of this, as he's trying to, to thresh this grain and willow it, a stranger appears and sits down next to an oak tree. And the stranger looks down at him and he says, Hail, mighty warrior, the Lord is with you. And the young man looks at him and says, Really? Really? The Lord is with us? It doesn't look like the word Lord is with us. Oh, I've heard the stories about how he led us out of Egypt and brought us into the land, but, but frankly, what has he done for us lately? And the stranger looked at him and said, You and your strength go and rescue the nation. And the man <laughs> no, no, you don't, you don't have it right. I, listen, I am the least of the least of the least. I am very unlikely. I am not the candidate for this job. And the stranger looked at him and said, I will be with you, and you will drive these tribes out of the land. Now, something clicked in his mind, and he realized this was no ordinary stranger. And he looks at him and says, If you are really speaking to me, and, and if you are who I think you are, please wait. And quickly the young man ran, he got a goat, he, he, he killed it, he brought the meat back along with some bread and some oil and come back to the stranger. And the stranger said to him, put it on this rock here. And then the stranger took his staff, touched the rock, and immediately fire sprung out from that rock and consumed everything. 
and the stranger disappeared. Now, I don't know about you, but if that happened to me, I would realize that this is no ordinary person that's there. And so apparently did Gideon. And most of you probably by this time have figured out, I'm talking about that, that character that you studied as a child in Sunday school, uh, the one with the fleece. You remember him? Well, we want to look at his life this morning because he is very unlikely. He's not the person that the average person would have said he's going to be a great leader. God's really going to use him in some powerful way. And yet, God did. And so I want to look at Gideon's life and I want to kind of unpack it, uh, some principles along the way. And the first principle that I'd like to unpack is the importance of letting go of the past. Now, I'm going to uh, go back to Scripture, and I'd like to read that passage that I just told you a story about. The angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abrazite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. And when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my lord, Gideon said, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hands of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least of my family. Well, I'm going to stop right there in this passage of Scripture. But first of all, I want to look at, at Gideon and his past. As far as he's concerned, everything stinks. The, the background is absolutely horrible for seven years. The Midianites and other tribal groups have come in and absolutely laid waste to the land. And he considers his family, at least in his mind, his family is the least and among that family, he considers himself to be the least. If we were to use a modern term, he would say, I am a loser. I am a loser. He said, pardon me, my Lord. How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am least in my family. In his own mind, he's saying, you are the weakest link. But there's also that problem of sin within the nation. Now I'm going to do a little bit of the backstory to this as we go back to verse chap, uh, chapter, excuse me, verse one. Well, we read this: the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites, because the power of Midian was so oppressive. And the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in the mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. And whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, the mosquito bites, oh, excuse me. The other eastern peoples invaded the country. And they camped on the land, and they ruined all the crops all the way to Gaza, and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. And they came up with their livestock, and their tents were like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Problems on every side. Economic problems, political problems, social problems, spiritual problems, personal problems, family problems. Everywhere that Gideon looked, it was a disaster. 
And as he looked at himself, he felt like, I can do absolutely nothing to make a difference. Have you ever been there? You ever been in a place where you just felt like everything's falling apart? Nothing's going your way? One problem after another? Perhaps you look around our country today and you see all the problems that we're facing. Perhaps you're looking within your own family and you're seeing the problems that are there. Maybe it's your own life. Maybe it's something in your past that haunts you. Well, then you'd identify with Gideon. Well, I identify with him. And I, I want to share a little bit of my journey. 30 years ago, I had started a church. And for the first three or four years, it, things were really going well. It was just amazing. God was blessing. We were seeing people come to know the Lord. People were being baptized. It was just a great time. But there were some issues that kind of were going underneath the surface. And then about three years, four years into it, one family with a few others quit the church. Now, when I say this one family, you might be thinking, well, that's just kind of like church life. What's the big deal? Well, within this family, the, uh, well, I'll call him the patriarch. He was on the board. His wife was in charge of children's ministry and, and led a women's group. His son was leading the youth program. His other son was involved with the worship team. And you kind of get the picture that this one family had roles in every aspect of what we were trying to do in this church plant. And he left, and others left, and, and by the time the dust settled, about a third of the congregation had left, and that was just the beginning of troubles. A little bit later, the place that we had been meeting for those three or four years told us that the property had been sold, and the new owner said they no longer would allow us to, to meet there. And so we began to figure out where we were going to meet. So we ended up at a pre, uh, elementary school for a while. And then we found a warehouse that another church was using and they had moved out and they would rent that to us. And that lasted for a while until they sold it to another church and then we had to find another place to, to go. And so we ended up in the parking lot of a building that we had bought. We gave a new definition to the term, the church on the move. But each of those moves was, was uh, stressful because of the uh, loss of part of a congregation. I was no longer able to, to pay my bills. I had to become a substitute teacher, so we're trying to uh, make ends meet. We're trying to keep the church together. I'm having to substitute, and my stress level is beginning to rise. We were also remodeling a building, and in the midst of that, we were having work days in the evening and on weekends, and so on top of uh, teaching during the day, I had work uh, projects at night with others within our congregation, and we're meeting in the parking lot. We're not sure how soon that we're going to be able to get in there. We're praying we're going to get in before the rainy season hits. And we finally got in there, and it looked like maybe, maybe things are going to uh, come together. But the finances weren't there, and so I'm still having to substitute teach. And somewhere in there, my wife calls me on the phone and says, I'm leaving. You can have the cars and you can have the kids, but I'm out of here. And she moved in with the boss from her work. And so this added to the stress. And I'm feeling like, and I was a pilot, so this is an illustration out of my life, but I, I told, in fact, I told the executive director for our fellowship of churches, he'd be the equivalent of the bishop for the brethren in Christ. I feel like I'm in a plane with one engine has failed and the other engine sputtering and we're losing altitude. And I'm not sure whether I should bail out or try to find a place where I can land the thing. And he looked at me and said, Bill, you know, we would have no problems if you quit, but we sure would be grateful if you'd hung in there. 
And so I made the decision to hung in there, but I am moving more and more towards a point of burnout. One bright spot in the midst of this, after all this is going on, is I met a wonderful lady by the name of Tammy. And many of you know her, and she was a great blessing in my life. And a couple of years later, we did get married. But that added a whole other level of stress because I had one son to, involved in our relationship, and she had three children. They were blessings, and we had children from 12, 10, 8, and 5, three new ones to me. Now, blending a family is like being in a blender. It was a challenge. Uh, and on our honeymoon, now, here's a definition of burnout that I heard. If you're on vacation and they, uh, if you're feeling like, oh, it's good to get away, you're not in burnout. But if you're on vacation and you're thinking, I don't want to go back, that's burnout. And very frankly, that's where I was. But Tammy's brand new to this. She always wanted to be a pastor's wife, and now she's a pastor's wife. And she's like, Bill, we can do this. We can do this. So I, I hung in there, and we did our best. But frankly, I was not operating at my best. I, I was burnt out. I was emotionally, physically, spiritually, every other dimension exhausted. And I wasn't uh, working at, at my best. I made some uh, decisions. I made some mistakes. I didn't follow through on some things that I should have fallen through on. And... By Easter, I was asked to resign. So here I am, I'm 42 years of age, I'm burnt out, I'm divorced, I'm married to a divorcee, and I've been asked to resign for my very first senior pastorate. You know, you cannot finesse that enough to make that look good on a resume. And yet, well, We'll finish the story later. I want to go back to Gideon, and then we'll pick back. But let me just share a cartoon that I, that I saw. Uh, it's a Peanuts cartoon in which Lioness says to Charlie Brown, I guess it's wrong to always worry about tomorrow. Maybe we should think only about today. And Charlie Brown says, no, that's giving up. I'm hoping that yesterday will get better. Well, friends, it isn't going to get better. Whatever's in your past, whether it's a failure whether there are problems, whether there's difficulties, whether you had a bad childhood, whether mistakes or failures. It's not going to get better. But here's the thing. As God approached Gideon and says, Hail, mighty warrior, he looks at us and he sees a different perspective, which brings us to the second major point I'd like to talk about, and that is to listen to the Lord. He comes to him and he says, Hail, mighty warrior. Now listen to this. We're going to look at verses 7 and 10. Now, when the Midian Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land, and I said, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in the land you live but you have not listened to me. You have not listened to me. There's the importance of listening to the Lord and see what he has to say to that. Well, listen to what he says to Gideon. The angel of the Lord came and sat under the tree in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Eberzite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in the winepress to keep it from the Midianites. And when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. You know, the thing about God is that he sees the potential that's in us. I think of Jesus when he, when he first met Peter, 
whose name was Simon. And he said to Simon, Simon, your name is Simon, but you will be known as Peter. Now, Peter in the Greek means a rock. He says, I see a strength that's there. Maybe others don't. Maybe they, they might laugh at that idea. But Peter, I see this. The Lord said to Abram, and Abram means father. He says, you will be known as Abraham. The, the Abraham means the father of nations. And so God sees that. And he looks at each of us and doesn't just dwell on the past. He looks at us and he sees the potential that is there. Now, when Gideon hears this, he, he wants to come up with excuses. No, that's not me, that's me, that's not me. In verse 13, we read this. But sir, if the Lord is with us, why has this happened to us? Where are all of his wonders that our father told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hands of the Midians. He's saying, look, it's disastrous all the way around. And again, the Lord says, I've got a plan. And Gideon, you're part of that plan. The Lord turns to him and says, go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian hands. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon says, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. Do you hear that? He's listening to those tapes, those tapes that says you're a loser, those tapes that says you're the least, those tapes that says you will not amount to anything. And the Lord says, no, that's not the case. God sees Superman, but Gideon can only see Clark Kent. God sees Spider-Man, but Gideon only sees Peter Parker. You see, God wants to give us a new perspective. And you may be saying, I'm too old, I'm too young. But God says, I see something different in you. I see potential. I don't read, I speak, understand, teach. I don't hear too well. But God says, I can use you. You may be saying, I've done too many awful things, but God says, I will forgive you and I will give you new opportunities. You may say, I am divorced, single, married, widowed, fearful, but God says, it doesn't matter. I use people of all backgrounds. You may say, I have failed, sinned, or disappointed, but God says, you're my child and you have a place in my family. A key verse that brings all this out is found in 2 Corinthians 5.17 while we read, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed and the new has come. One of the, going back to Gideon, the Lord says, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites together. There's an assurance that's there. There's assurance of his presence. And God says, whatever I call you to do, and whatever opportunities I give you, I will be with you. And he's assured of success. You will drive them out. He didn't say maybe, or we'll take a chance, or we'll give it some you know, possibilities. No, he says, you will drive them out. And God says that I will use you. I've got a plan. Every part of the body of Christ, every individual has a role to play. It may be a small role, it may be a big role, but we're all part of that. Well, Gideon wants to come up with, with excuses along the way and say, are you sure, are you sure, are you sure? But God says, let go of that past. Let go of that past. And so Gideon begins a change and, and the Lord appears to him in the night and says, listen, this is the first step. There's an altar to Baal and to Asherah. Cut it down, use that and build an altar to me. Let go of that past. The past of sin, renounce it and move on. 
the past of failure, learn from it, but don't dwell in it. Now, there's a, there's a whole process that's there. There is worship, there's repentance, there's commitment. But Gideon steps out in faith. It's a big step for him because that's not who his background is. In fact, we read in verses 33 and 35 that this is a tremendous step of faith. Let me read it to you. And now all of the Midianites and the Malachites and other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over to Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and he blew a trumpet and he summoned all the Abazites to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh calling them to arms and also into Asher and Zebulun and Naphtali. And so they all went to meet him. And so now everybody's coming together. He's taken that step. It's a tremendous step because now they're looking to him to give leadership. But he still has doubts. He still has doubts. Now, one of the, the things that Christians have borrowed from the story that is incorrect is this idea of a fleece, that you put out a fleece to see if God wants you to do that. Well, that's not how God works. In fact, Gideon knew what God wanted him to do. He just wanted an out. And so you know the story. He puts out the fleece and says, Lord, pardon me, don't get mad, but uh, I just want to find out if, you, if, if really you want me to believe you and to, to follow you. Make the, the fleece wet and around it the, dr land, the land dry. And so the Lord agrees and says, okay. So the next morning Gideon gets up, grabs the fleece, wrings out a whole bunch of water, and then begins to think, you know, Maybe this isn't a miracle at all. I mean, a fleece, that'll, that'll gather water, and if the sun comes out, the land will dry. So he says to the Lord, pardon me. Uh, can we reverse that? And the Lord in his patience says yes. And so the fleece is dry the next morning, and the land is wet. So Gideon has no more excuses. It reminds me of the man who, who uh, doctor told him you need to go on a diet. And so one morning he's talking to his coworkers and he told them about the diet. He says, but you know, I just thought, I just felt like this morning the Lord wanted me to have a donut. And so I said, Lord, if you want me to have a donut, let there be a parking place right in front of the donut shop. And he says, you know what? The 10th time around, there was a spot right there in the middle of that donut shop. Well, that's not faith. That's trusting God. Let me give you another illustration from my life and also moving forward in terms of my story. Fast forward from the, what I just told you where I was a burnout, divorced, married to a divorcee pastor who had been asked to resign from his first church. A year and a half later, on my birthday, I get a phone call. It's from an associate pastor in Indio, not India, but Indio, California. And he says, would you be interested in being our interim pastor? And I said, sure. And so I became the interim pastor and over, the next uh, seven or eight months, I'm out there, out there in Indio. They were looking for a new pastor and they had put a search committee together and they would be looking, but things were not looking well for that congregation. And I would have a morning uh, breakfast with some of the men and one of those men, his name was Newell. He'd come up to me and he said, Pastor Bell, he says, you should be our, our permanent pastor. I said, Newell, no, I'm, I'm not going to do that. You see, it's not considered appropriate for an interim pastor to try to become the senior pastor. I said, Newell, we'll just let the committee do its job and trust that God's going to use them. And Newell said to me, I, I already know who God wants. He wants you. And I said, well, let's just wait and find out how God directs in all of this. 
Now, I had been sensing that maybe God was calling me to this church, but again, I didn't want to do anything appropriate, so I just prayed, Lord, if you want me to be the senior pastor, and I love it, but I don't want to be ahead of you, but I don't want to be behind you. Come August, by this time, this is Indio. If you know anything about Indio, by August, uh, the, pop, the congregation is down about half of what it started at. And I'm like, what's going on here? They said, well, around March, all the snowbirds leave. And then around uh, May or June, all of the seniors who don't have a job, they leave. And then by August, anybody who has vacation time, they leave because it's about 120 there. And so there's just a handful of people that are there. And the chairman of the church invites me out to lunch. And he says this, we're going on a two-week vacation and we're not coming back. And I thought, this might be the Lord's sign. So I said to them, if I stay, would you stay? Now I knew this, his wife was in charge of the, the children's ministry and led the women's Bible school. He was on the board, he led the Sunday school class. I knew that if they left, the church wouldn't make it. So I said, let's pray over it over the next two weeks and uh, you let me know. So they said, we'll pray over it, you pray over it. In the interim, I went to our district director It'd be the equivalent of the bishop to the brethren in Christ. And I said to the director, this is what's going on. I explained the whole situation. I said, I, I know that it's not appropriate, so I don't want to get a, do anything wrong. But the church, I don't think, is going to make it without that couple being part of it. And he smiled and he said, Bill, we've been hoping you'd take the church. So I had confirmation. And so I said, yes, when they came back, I would be willing to stay. They said, if you're willing to stay, we'll be willing to stay. And I spent another 10 years at that church. It was a beautiful and wonderful time. It was a great time where God blessed. And I helped that, turn that church around. It had been through a difficult season. And I'm so glad that I listened. But let me just talk about some of the principles that are there as far as listening to God. One of which is there is, there is that sense of feeling. Now, feelings can be a little bit treacherous. Sometimes they're, they're genuinely uh, from God and the Spirit speaking to you. Other times it's just our old nature trying to get us to do what we want to do. Uh, so there are, needs to be more. And uh, another level is what are circumstances? And the circumstances brought it around in that situation where I felt like, okay, God's opening the door there. And then there's godly counsel, talking to others that know you, know your background, know your experiences. And this director knew all about it. He was part of that time when I was asked to uh, resign the church. He knew all about that. And so those things all came together and within a couple of weeks I was confirmed. Now, if we look to the next thing, and I'm just gonna real quick on this one, we look to the future. Now you know that story. Pretty much everybody knows the story of Gideon and the trumpets and so forth and all the, the army going down to just 300 people. And there was a great victory there. But all of that came because Gideon was willing to let go of the past. He was willing to listen to the Lord and to say yes, ultimately, after a couple of missteps, to what God had called him to do. And then because of that and following God's leading and following God's plan, he was able to achieve a great victory. Now, I'd like to just share one more story from my journey. Uh, I hope it might be encouraging to you. When it came to the time of my looking for my last congregation, I had felt that God had called me to do a turnaround church. That church that I mentioned out in India was a turnaround church. It had been through a very tough season and had lost a lot of people, had a lot of crisis and problems along the way. 
And for those 10 years, I was able to bring healing and wholeness and new life to that church. And I felt, well, maybe this is God's gifting. And so I shared with our executive director that that's what my calling was. And then I, I began to do some studying. And I found out that the experts, the experts said that the best age to start a turnaround in church, it would be around 40 to 45. You've got plenty of experience, but you still have a lot of energy and emphasize it takes a lot of energy to turn around a church. And at this point, I'm 57. And so there was a seed of doubt that was planted there that do you really, do you really wanna take on another turnaround church? But that's what I felt. And I had talked to the district director and they had affirmed that that was what. So I got a call from a church uh, one in, in La Crescenta this time. I knew the history, 20 years of one disaster after another. No pastor had lasted longer than three years. And there was like six of them over that period of time. And I knew the challenge, but you know what? The 10 years that I was there, my last 10 years in ministry were absolutely wonderful. Difficult, I'll admit, but very, very special. And I made a lot of friends along the way. It was a beautiful time. But I would have missed that if I would have said, I'm too old. And there may be some in this congregation that are thinking, I'm too old. Well, my friends, you're not too old. You're not too young. You're not too this or too that. God can use you. One final thing I'd like to share that, that may be encouragement to others. That group that came to interview me took us out to lunch at Coco's. And we sat around and that was their search committee and they asked me questions about you know, my background and so forth. And uh, I, you know, we just went back and forth and finally they said, do you have any questions? And I said, why us? Why did you decide to, to uh, interview and, become, you know, and talk to us about this? And I heard an answer I thought I'd never hear. And that was because you two have been divorced. You've been divorced. You see, we've had over 20 years of pain and heartache, and we need somebody that can understand that, somebody that can help us to achieve healing and wholeness and begin to look forward to the future. And some of you may be thinking something like that in your life, in your life, that, that because of this divorce, because of this failure, God can't use me. But let me tell you, God uses people who've got, who have a brokenness about them, who've made mistakes, who have not been perfect. And God can use you and can find you a place. So let me finish with this thought. If God can use a burnout, divorced pastor who married a divorcee and was asked to resign from his first senior pastorate, then God can use you, no matter what your background is. Let go of the past, listen to the Lord, and look to the future. Let me close with a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this example of an unlikely character that you used in a very powerful way. Help us to remind ourselves that you will use us. And indeed, sometimes the things that we are most ashamed of, the things that, that have been most disastrous, our failures, our shortcomings, that often those are the very things that you use in order to, to bless others. And so Father, like Gideon, we pray that we would be open to listening to you and saying yes to whatever you call us to do. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. 